Hi, this is Nancy Ural, and welcome to High Road to Humanity. And I have a lovely lady here today. Suzanne Anderson is here, and welcome to High Road, Suzanne. Nancy, good to be here. It's great to have you. You guys, she's written a cool book. This is interesting. You Make Your Path by Walking. I like the title, by the way. Good. And um, this is a transformational field guide through trauma and loss. So a lot of us have been through trauma and loss, but let me just kind of give you an idea of what we're going to be talking about today. So sit back and relax. When her beloved husband took his life and with it, her life as she knew it, Susan Anderson faced a choice. Would she be broken down and defeated or broken open and transformed? So this is part memoir and part guidebook. You make your own path by walking accompanies readers, accompanies you, you guys, on your own journey through the barren landscape of trauma and grief, offering comfort, guidance, and inspiration to make meaning out of loss. And a lot of people have dealt with loss, especially with the COVID. And so this is coming at a good time. Um, let me guys give you a little information about Suzanne. She is the founder of the Mysterial Woman. She's a psychologist, author, coach, leadership consultant, and transformational teacher. Her pioneer work in guiding others to awaken their full feminine and masculine strengths combines insights and practices from ancient wisdom, depth psychology, and modern neuroscience. She has dedicated the past 30 years to decoding an embodied integra integral and accelerated path, <laughs> easy for me to say, pathway to unlock the next level of our innate potential. And this is cool because she's bringing together the masculine and the feminine, which I'll say before we get going on your story, I've always felt like, you know, there's always been such an imbalance and it should be equal. And I love that you do this because it should be masculine, feminine, totally equal, not this way or this way. I think it used to be feminine and then it went to the masculine and now it's coming back. So with that, I will let you tell your story, Suzanne. You had a January 3rd, 2013, your husband took his life. God bless. Right, right. <clears throat> well, right. Well, maybe, maybe I'll just start since you laid out a little bit of my background just to set the scene of what happened because um, it was so complete the the um, you could say the shattering of my identity my life as it was uh, when my husband took his life so I had just I'd done 10 years of research working with hundreds of women in our leadership programs um, and <clears throat> we had discovered or let's say decoded a, a pathway to awakening the next level of potential that I think is sort of an evolutionary unfolding for women. You spoke right. a little bit to that. I would say, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the feminine and masculine within or yin and yang. And we think of the beautiful yin and yang symbol mm -hmm. that we know the light and dark. Um, I think we have been in a very 5,000 years, actually, my, my first book goes, goes into this 5,000 years inside a more yang or masculine worldview. Right. And as you referenced the cycle before that was much more, it was a more feminine, you could say yeah. based clan based um, worldview. Mm -hmm. And now we are in an evolutionary move because of the complexity of the times we simply need access to both. That's always how we grow and develop. We 
basically, you know, Einstein said, we, uh, we can't solve the problems of today with the consciousness that created them yesterday. Right. So we have to grow the consciousness. All right. So that's what I was figuring out was what's a way to help women really wake up to more of who they are and, and then take their place as leaders today. The manuscript was written with my co-author and um, we were about to run a new program that we had um, put on hold while we were writing our book, the, the way of the mysterious woman upgrading how you live, love and lead. And 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 as you said, I came home to find my husband dead and by suicide. So <clears throat> it's almost like yeah. Sorry. Okay. No, I just want to ask you. I just want to say something real quickly here because I want to let the audience know because I read a lot of what happened. You had no idea that he was even and like he had talked about it one time like years ago, but you had no idea that he would do this. Well, there were so many factors that would not have it be something he would do. This is often the case of those who who die by suicide, is that there's a real compartmentalization of the self that is presented to the outer world and the self that is right. really suffering deeply and not right. able to stay any longer in the world, making a plan to leave. And that was very much David. He was not in a big depression. He had gotten tinnitus ringing in the ears about three months earlier, which is can really drive people to, to to feel like I cannot live in this life because there's no known right now um, solution for that. Problem. I didn't know anything about tinnitus. I had no idea. So this was a a, a new thing for me, you know, a educational thing for me because I had no idea. But let me rewind also a little bit. You had a wonderful marriage. We had, well, this is why, this is the sort of setup here. We had, yeah. I had found my beloved We yes. were, and he had found his and we were deeply in love and, and we had created this incredible home, which was like a magical world really with buildings he'd brought from Indonesia, these antique temples. And we'd created something absolutely exquisite together. And, um, and we were about to participate in a wedding two days later I know. Of his niece and his nieces um or his best friend in indonesia his son who had met through david and they were getting married so all the family from indonesia was here in seattle and so these are and he had this ringing in the head and what i soon found out was his business was about to come crashing down so his his whole there was a financial house of cards we had two separate worlds business-wise I had my own mm -hmm. business he had his um so you didn't know you had no idea no I yeah, knew because he, he went through cycles as you do he's, he's in he had a um an Indonesian antique furniture business and there are cycles where in retail where it goes up and down yeah sure but but I had no idea first of all I had no idea the amount of debt, which was astronomical oh my and he, much, much more. And we had a multi-million dollar property. So the debt exceeded what, what we had. Um, and this was how he had been, it was the hidden part. So what I was saying before, the part of him that was uh, creating these incredible things, including our property, but also he was restoring this amazing um home in in 
Bali or in Java. And so there'd been a lot of, he was sort of, you know, a, take from Peter to pay Paul. He was juggling things. He was juggling. But you know, it's so it's so crazy because um, I want to rewind a little bit. I read about how you gave him this big party for his 60th birthday and what a fabulous party it was. And, you know, I just, it and how he was meditating. I just need to get this out. So, I mean, I don't want to give the whole book away, you guys, but it's a really good book. And he, he was meditating and coming down and telling you in the morning, Hey, this is the best day of my life. So it's, uh, this I mean, thing is it's such a, such a, this is exactly it, Nancy. It was, yeah, so, I was like, what represents the, just so we can give people listening a sense of the way in which the reality of his um, dying of, of his taking himself out of this world yeah. was so out of relationship to what, those of us that were left behind were experiencing right. the shock of it was was uh was profound for for everybody yeah you know with the i was wondering because the wedding they decided to go ahead and have the wedding even though he did commit suicide um right before but it seemed like or i just want to ask you this question with all of his family there and did was that more comforting to have all those people or was it harder for you yeah, well, um, it was it was hard for me also as I as I write a bit about in the book. I mean, where how do I participate in this? Can I participate in this? Am right. I an asset, or am I am I reminding everybody of the horror? Where do I fit in this new reality? Now they were incredible. His sister Pam was amazing, and oh. and uh, the bride and. Um, her husband to be um they were all so incredibly welcoming of me uh but it was and we were making our way literally by walking it was one day at a time and for me it was really figuring out what can i do where can, can i be there can i be present and and as it turned out i could be present uh i felt i could and i was and I think it was really important for the, the those that were getting married. But all of those, in, in a way, there was this, um, it's surreal in a sense, the forces of, you could say, union, the, the, the white, the bride and white, right? the innocence of the bride and white, and then the, the horror of death and the, the horror of the way this death occurred and that loss and the, this co-mingling of these, the life that is left, you know, what's left mm -hmm. and what is just arising, like the new life that is, mm -hmm. is coming. And so it took a lot to hold that. And I would say that, you know, I was able to hold that. His family was able to hold that. And help you. Can I ask you something? I just, I just curious. Um, were you angry? Because I would be angry. Right. Well, I think it's a it's a good question. And I would say I was everything. I was angry. I was uh, sad. Yeah. I was afraid. And the anger, there was a there definitely was anger. I did a lot of work with my anger. I did a lot of work actually to 
to, because one of the things that was really important to me, we both had a very long time spiritual path. We, his, uh, he had a lot of experience with contact with other realms, as I know you do, mm -hmm. and uh, wasn't afraid of death, wasn't afraid and, and knew he had free will, as I believe too, to leave when he wanted to leave. Um, but I do feel there was a kind of spiritual bypass in this, in his choice here to leave this way. In other words, either, uh, a lot was going to happen in his world and it was going to come crashing down. Well, it was our world too. And he didn't have, and I know from what he wrote to me that he didn't have the capacity to stay and be with that. And so the, I would call that a spiritual bypass where you kind of go, I'll yeah. just leave. But for me, the the choice was I would be down and in. I would go through this 100%. And this is part of the work I teach women. I would be with my emotional body. And so I really worked with my anger so that I could get to the place, if I would get there, which I did, yeah. of forgiveness. Like it wouldn't be, uh, well, I'd understand he just needed to leave and I forgive you and may you go with God. It's not that easy, is it? No. Well, it, I have it, to say, I have to say, I give you credit. I mean, I, I want to say that it's interesting how God works, because all I kept thinking of as I was reading your book, and do you have a copy of your book there? So you can right right show the audience, Look at this, you make your path by walking. It's really good. It's really interesting. We're going to get into more of it, what she writes in the beginning of the chapters, but I want to get this thought out. As I was going through your book, I thought to myself, now, isn't it interesting how the universe works? You can say however you want, that you learned all these steps and we're teaching them to other people. And then here you are, you went through your own steps. Right. Well, this is the way the universe works. And this is probably the it's most great. curious thing about it. I, I've never been able to call it a gift because I, I wouldn't call it a gift. It was, it was such a brutal shattering, but I would call it an offering. Yeah. And my, my capacity, I think, or my, my, the invitation of the situation was to keep being present for what was like, what is actually happening here? Because, you know, if there's one thing I really hope that people can receive from this book, it is that when life deals you one of these really harsh cards, you could say, mm -hmm. uh, it, it doesn't have to be an all shattering of everything as it was for me of your life. It could be the end of a relationship and, and, and the, a really difficult divorce. It could be when a child leaves home and you're, you're, you're on your own. It could be um, the end. Yeah, of people don't think about that. Cause it's true. I want to stop for a second because the kids leave and a lot of people are wrapped up in their kids and they live, live through their kids and then their kids are gone. And it's even happened to me. I really didn't live through my kids, but they're living their own life now. And that's like a traumatic thing for people to uh, deal with, isn't it? Well, it is. And it's actually understandable. It's the end of it, but we don't have any, we don't have very many good rituals in our culture today. No. Though. To deal with it. it changes because yeah. there is a big change that happens. Yeah. So any of these losses, you could say a loss of a way you saw yourself, maybe health, maybe, you know, you all of a sudden an illness has come in. And so you saw yourself a certain way and you don't have that anymore. So whatever it is where the status quo is shattered, those moments have the potential as hard as they are. And as much as we do not want them to be an offering that can grow you into the next version of yourself which could be you know the way i write it is that the breaking open can lead to a breaking through mm -hmm. to more of who you are 
Um, and that has everything to do with how you walk through the situation. Mm-hmm. Well, what is something that you would tell somebody who's just gone through a trauma or loss to help them? Yeah. Well, the first thing, without question, the first thing is to to be gentle with yourself, the, the self-compassion. Mm-hmm. When when life deals you the, one of those cards, and often we feel, well, for example, let's talk about suicide. Um, with suicide, there's a lot of shame uh, or, or a loss of a loved one. There may be shame after a couple of months, like, why am I still grieving? Why is this so hard for me? Mm-hmm. Like to be really gentle with yourself. You're going through, when I sometimes think about these things as an initiation, it's like there's an initiation happening. That's the potential of one of these life-changing events. But we don't know. We don't have rites of passage for initiation. So here at the center of the initiation, the first thing I'd say is be gentle. And yeah, because the- it's hard for you because you're left. You're the person that's left. I had another lady on the show as you're talking. I'm thinking about this. And her husband, unfortunately, committed suicide. And people from his work would come and ask her, were you having an affair? And we're like asking her, you know, like she felt like they were putting the blame, like some kind of blame on her. Did you feel like that, too? Like, did anybody like did you feel like you were the one like didn't you know or didn't you see or did you have that, too? Certainly, I think everybody, someone in this, in our survivor situation, you, you, you will get that in different okay. ways. But I, I just wondered say, if you'd address oh, it. Oh, you, but for me, that was everything as I wrote about in the book, not going into the, taking that shame on. And it's so important. This was not my suicide. I did not cause this suicide. David did do this and I'm left with it. So it was very important for me not to be sticky. In other words, not to be some where if there were those projections, right? Either, you know, I'm not taking them on. Left a right to think whatever they want to think. But that's wow. not my reality. And that was not and I and that was really important for me. Um and I would say for anybody going through a situation like that where you claim the ground of your it's going to be hard enough as a survivor. You don't need to to take on also the perpetrator. That was really well said. Thank you for expressing that to the audience. Can I ask what happened about all, like, what did you do about all the financial stuff? Did that, I mean, were you left to deal with all of that or? That was, yeah. Because when the, when the house of cards came down, um, that was, uh, it was coming down around me as well. Sure. And um, all of my resources, and this was my my error for sure, because 10 years earlier, um, when we had gotten together, I had sold my house and my resources co-mingled. And I had so much complete faith in him, trust in him. We had, as I said, this very deeply loving relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, But that was a mistake on my part to not be more diligent to do my own due diligence around his, you know to just really think about what find out more about his uh, his situation so yes when when things came down uh, they came down around me now I had a choice and uh, early on whether I would take on the role of the executor of the estate I was named as that in the will but there was a choice and I, I write about this um, because it was a really key way to use all of my what I call multidimensional knowing to really find my way to a yes or a no 
based on analysis, on my own guidance, on talking to people, on watching signs and signals, because it was going to make a big difference. Either I just sure. you know, take my suitcase and walk away and leave the bank and everything else to handle it, or I see, or I stay in the center of the situation and I see if I can in some way stabilize the, the chaos, which you'll have to read the book to find out what I do. Oh, I love it. <laughs> well, it made you such a stronger person. It changed you completely, didn't it? Yes, I would say it made me strong. I wouldn't say it changed me completely. It revealed, it, it cracked open more of me to be available. Of who you are. Yeah, because I was already walking in this way that I call the way of the mysterious woman, yeah. which is blending of ways my feminine and masculine engaged in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, that was already very strongly. And in fact, it was a commitment I made from the very beginning. I will walk in this way. However, this turns out, we'll find out. And so I, I would say there was a shattering of some, something that kept me kind of like a plexiglass, but kept me from the world, from even from loving the world, from being love in the world more fully. And that was profound for me. It was like, I, I broke, as I broke open, I broke into the world, if you know what I mean by that. That's interesting. That's interesting. Well, through this, I mean, there's been so many things that you've gone through. Um, you wrote, there are times in life when the shattering is so complete that all one can do is bow down and honor um, the threshold. The past is gone. The future is unknown. And that's probably, I'm just going to assume, and I want to ask you, that's probably, you know, the hardest thing is like not knowing the future, what you're going to do or what, how are things going to come out? You know, did you just have faith? Were you just a faithful? Well, this is really, really deeply a part of what I teach in the work that I work with because of which is how to be with the mystery. That's where the word mysterial comes from. Okay. How to be with the mystery. If there's one thing we read, we all need right now in this incredibly complex world, it is how to be with ambiguity, how to be with uncertainty. But the, the, the small self, you could say the self just hanging, the identity that's you know, the, the ego wants things to stay the same, doesn't want to change anything, even though you might want to get out of the situation you're in, you're afraid to shake up what you have. So this capacity to walk with the mystery is, is essential. And I would say it's something I know something about deeply, but it doesn't mean it isn't hard because you do have to be, the very first thing you have to be able to do is to be with what is like really come home to yourself in the moment of what is because the future is in my case the future gone I had you know all the future I'd planned all the plans yeah gone and I couldn't see what would unfold mm -hmm. and the past gone but what we tend to do is is hang on to the vision of the future which is that you had from before you had from before and hold on to the what you had from the past and then you're yeah it's true we all do that this is i'm so glad you came on today because i think a lot of people have had trauma in their life whether it's a divorce whether it's death whether it's suicide i mean 
it's hard to just deal with it. And so thank you. You're telling us, you know, to just go with it. And well, what I'm saying is what I'm saying, Nancy, I think is, is the very first thing is, and it's hard because when you go through a trauma or a loss, there's the right um, function in the psyche of denial. Well, That's yeah. And, and, and it's good. We need that because yeah. you need, because the, the nervous system gets overwhelmed. So that's okay. That's okay. And early in the process, but often people stay too way too long in denial. So, you know, for me, that was really important to, to keep coming down into this is my life now. And by the way, this is not my life. Like until I get back to my old life, you know, like that's often the thing. Yeah, too. Like, you got to start over somewhere to yeah. some new life. I want the. Few, let me just survive this to get on to something. No, this is your life right now. You do not get this day back. You do not get this moment back. And being able to come into what actually is, as hard as it is, allows you to be present to make the decisions you need to make, so that you can make your path by walking and actually move into a future that is something you can't even imagine yet, but is, right. you know, a possible positive future. You know, something that I read in your book and it hit home with me uh, and I have Graves disease, thyroid. And when I went through my divorce, my thyroid, I didn't even realize it. I was so heartbroken. I had lost so much weight and I didn't even realize how bad my thyroid was affected. And you had something similar where your thyroid because you're like caught up in everything else and you don't even realize your health is like out of whack because your body is like trauma is there's trauma. Can you address that a little? Right. Um, well, I, I, did I even, did I know at that point? I think I did know at that point, I have the other side of this, which is Hashimoto, yeah. which is a thyroid situation. And what, <clears throat> and what it would, the way it manifested for me was a lump in my throat. Um, kind of like this, you had a goiter and it wasn't quite it wasn't a goiter no it wasn't actually that never got that far but okay. that it was just a discomfort let me okay. just say no, I know it was there but um but I think I had the uh, the my thyroid pretty much I, I I by that time this all happened I believe I had dealt with that um but you do you know the the, the point is you you have to keep coming into your, this is the self-compassion part seeing that yeah. what how am I doing right now I wasn't sleeping that's for sure right. and and so that choice you know how am I going to get to sleep and that was a, that was a kind of an interesting process because I was all natural I still am I don't do a lot of medicine you know of, of uh, pharmaceuticals if I right I'm with orientation um and so I wouldn't, I was thinking, oh, I don't want to take any sleep medications to help me sleep. And I'm not going to do that. I'll just be natural. But of course, I wasn't sleeping. There was so much anxiety. And so uh, this was, for me, was listening to my friends and allies who were saying, you, you, you do need to sleep. So it's okay. You know, it's not a failure to get assistance. Right. You, and especially given all the things I had to figure out during the day to really take care of myself. And so I did get a sleep aid for a number of months and that was enormously helpful because yeah. then I could show up in the day for what I had to show up for. So, you know, taking or keeping connected to what our body, excuse me, our body needs is really critical. Well, yeah, because I, I just can speak for myself when I went through the trauma, didn't even realize it. 
I didn't even think, oh, I've lost all this weight because of, because your emotions, you know, are all tied. We're, we're, totally. you know, energy, we're made of energy. It's all energetic. So when you, you know, when you have some, a trauma like this, it affects people physically. It just does. Yes, it's so, I mean, I, that's why I brought it up and the sleep thing. Yeah. I'm glad you got something. Cause I'm like you, I don't like to take anything, but it, it helped you get, get through it, you know? Right. And sleep is everything. So if, if anyone listening is going through a really, really tough loss right now, and the, and the night is just full of anxiety, then, you know, get the help you need to sleep because we just know this from neuroscience. You're just won't have the cognitive function that you need to be able to handle what you ha- what you're going to have to handle right you know i want to ask you about your faith did you were you always a spiritual person do you consider yourself religious i know that you did talk about the ministers helping at one point in the book at the wedding um after the suicide can you talk about that i mean was your faith did you question things like that you know yeah, I would not call myself religious, but I I would call myself spiritual, and I would I would uh, say I've that's been the case for since I was very young, and my first <clears throat> I would say spiritual experience was when I was seventeen, where I had I had no religious context at all. My family had no religion. I, I used to write Unitarian because that's what they told me to write, um, which is some it. kind of version of I don't know what. Yeah, Actually, the Unity Church. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even think it's the Unity. I don't know if it's Unity Church. It's yeah. in Canada, and I'm not sure if it's. Oh, if, that's right. You're Canadian. Okay, well, we have the Unity Church here. Right. We talk about Mother God and Father God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that. I don't even okay. know what it was, honestly, because I, I I didn't go. I don't know what it was, but it was okay. just a thing that that I wrote. Uh, I was told to write it on my school <laughs> papers. You know? I love it. Yeah, but um, but I was having experiences that were kind of otherworldly. And I had no context for them. I was very, you know, I was, there, there was a real schism between the me that was in very, you know, academic and an athlete and, you know, in the world doing that world. And then the me that was feeling one with things, with animals, with birds, with the ocean, with these sort of experiences of union or, or yeah. And I actually was a little worried that I was, was something wrong with me. No, I was going crazy or something um, because I had no context. I didn't talk about it. And then one day when I was 17, my neighbor gave me this little book uh, called On Having No Head by Douglas Harding. And he was one of the early, uh, in, in the, the more Zen traditions, a non-dual Zen teacher, um, like Alan Watts, that name some people might know. And uh, well, I thought, Okay. And I read this book and it was like, oh my God, somebody's writing about my experience. And like, there's only one person on the planet who thinks like this, because I didn't know there was a great movement of of people that were on a spiritual path, not a religious path, let's say. And uh, so I was determined to meet him and go and find him because this, this like, which I ended up doing Um, a year later, I, I went to his community in England. He lived in England and, um, that oh, was cool. for me. And then that led to many other transcendental meditation. And, you know, there were many, many things on my spiritual path, which I would say has been a deep part of my experience for many, many years. So I have a faith, not in a dogma or a system, mm-hmm. but in knowing 
that I'm part of a very beautiful, friendly universe. <laughs> Yes. Uh, and that's just a deep so there is a deep faith in that yes I love that I love that that's really nice so I have to ask the question you do meditate has he been around have you has he contacted you he did contact me early well not early actually relatively speaking but um I was was hoping through meditation um, and through dreams that he would contact me mm -hmm. and I wasn't getting anything I went to various psychics and um, people who work with other beings on the other side and initially I write some of that in the book you know initially they were you know he's not ready yet and <laughs> and then um but yeah, then that must have been frustrating for you. Super frustrating. Oh gosh. Although, I'm sorry, I just have to say that. <laughs> sort of powerful at the same time. And I'll leave that story for the book as well because it was kind of a wake-up call, one of them. But um, but when I went to Italy, so almost like maybe nine months after he had died, um he came to me in a dream. And I'd been I was on a bike trip just trying to get away from my world with my brother and his wife. And um, I was exhausted after a day of, of biking. And it was absolutely, I felt him coming to, now whether was he ready then, they do say, from what I understand, that when crossing over can take a number of months anyway. I mean, it's not really time in, in right. our time. Right. But when it's a suicide, um, it can be a, a little longer process. So who knows exactly, but um, but I do feel he really came to me and it was a very powerful dream and I did feel his remorse and I really did feel him communicate with me. Um, and then he came and then I found somebody who he, who I do feel he came through. So then I worked with a, with a, um, someone who channels others and um, I felt I had, I have had conversations with him. Okay. And do you feel, and so you feel more at peace, I would imagine at this point. Yeah. So definitely. Yes. Well, that is, you know, this is 10 years ago now, so it's been quite a journey. There were various times where he would, I would sense him coming in or there'd be a sort of synchronous sign where I'd feel mm -hmm. he was, he was around. Um, and other times, not so much when the book was coming out, it's just been out a couple of weeks now. Yeah. So, um, when, June 13th, by the way. Yes. Yeah, June 13th. I guess that's almost a month, actually. Yeah. Fact, that is Congratulations. Month. Yeah. But when it came out, um, I did feel, I did feel, well, how could I say it? In one meditation, I felt his, his, um, hmm. no, what's the right word here? It's not pride, but um, acknowledgement of acknowledgement. The that's a good, that's a good word. Just as that's a what I got, <laughs> yeah. like you did it, you really did this, not only lived it, yeah. of course, because it's a lot of living. There wasn't, it wasn't obvious to me. I would write a book I'd written. It took me two years to get back to actually getting my first book published and out um, because as I said, the manuscript was done right when he died. And so obviously there were many other things I had to do before that could happen. And I wasn't intending on writing a second book. And then I went back a number of years after that to just write. I just felt I need to take myself back the, the me of then, you mm -hmm. know, five years after he died, needed to go back and be with the me that went through that trauma that first year. So I just started writing, going, taking myself away and writing retreats to be 
with myself in that way. And then after I'd written it, I showed it to my editor from the first book and said, do you think there's something here that could be useful to others? And she said, yes, I think there is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here we, so then, you know, that was a different process to put it into a book that I could, I could offer to others. I think it's wonderful that you've done it um, to help others. You know, what has been so far, it's been out a month. I know it's new, but have you had really good um, reviews so far? Have you had good emails, good feedback? That yeah, kind of thing? I have. And in fact, I just um, heard this morning from two different women randomly who um, are reading my book and dealing with trauma situations in their lives right now. One of them is suicide and one of them um, a, a serious accident. Um, and how helpful the the book has been for them to go with me through what I went through is giving them the hope that they can. And also I'm hoping, and I mean, I call this a memoir guidebook. I'm hoping it also gives a little help. Like, okay, here's, here's well, a way- yeah. To consider this. Here is a way to make sure you're present with yourself going through this. You know, I have to ask you something as you're speaking. This is kind of an odd question, but I've noticed that, and, and you're this is like you're like the third or fourth person that has approached me to come on the show to talk about a suicide of a husband. And it just to me seems kind of odd that all of this, I mean, maybe I just didn't recognize it, but I've been doing this for a while. Is this something that seems to be more prevalent now in men? I don't know why, but I feel that for well, some there, reason. There is, a, there is an uptick right now, which is... Yeah, what do you think? In culture, there was an uptick in culture before with youth. Now the big thing that they're noticing um, the research is showing is it's an uptick in suicide in men yeah. with a health crisis. So a health thing that okay. they're not you know, going to deal with or mm -hmm. financial dissolution, you know, the financial world coming apart and the shame of that. And for David, it was both. It was both his health crisis of this tinnitus that was this endless screeching and then the financial piece. So there's something in the world pattern right now mm -hmm. that, you know, I would just say to anybody listening here that that you know, that is, you know, if there's that suicidal ideation already happening, you're you're starting to think about uh, ways that you might leave. That you really seriously look at the the help that there are. There's a suicide line. There are people that can really hold you through this. The one thing that David communicated to me every time and that I feel that I've talked to him was the remorse for what he did. What he did. That it really, he wished that he hadn't done that, that he hadn't made that step. Like it seems so hopeless. There's so much suffering. At the time. At the time. But then, you know, that one step, that's where that one holding on to, I've had people tell me that because David did it, they didn't do it. Wow. Yeah, that they knew told him. somebody the day before that he was different ways he thought of doing it, didn't he? That's yeah. crazy. And the person never said anything. Yeah. And then this was a brutal, you know, thing that they have to live with people that did that because that this was male friends. I think it was a very, was yeah. very unfair of David. He basically swore them to secrecy. He told yeah. them. Yeah, I read then, that. 
swore them to secrecy to not tell their wives or me that he'd been considering it, but he was sort of sharing it with him like it was past tense. Like, you know, this was what I was thinking, but I'm not thinking it anymore. And they didn't really know how to think about it. And yeah, so so it's it's something that's happening in the world pattern right now. And we really yeah. have to be, be aware for it, be, be aware, totally. Yeah. I just, it's, it's, it's crazy. And I pick it up intuitively too. Um, and I don't, yeah, it is, it's the change. It's the change of what's happening right now. I think I'll just say this, I'll give you my, my intuitive two cents. I feel like a men feel like they're losing their masculinity or like their control as the women start to rise a little bit. It's always been so flipped and now it's going to be more equal. It's really, and I think they just, they're, it's almost like a loss. Like, I feel like they're lost. Like, I, how do I, I think the, the, the men are absolutely lost right now. It is, yeah. it's a very, very confusing time because we've had this pa patriarchal pattern for over 5,000 years now. And mm -hmm. that it is, it is ending actually. And you'll see, you see, and we always see this at the end of one phase, the shadow kicking up. We yeah. see it here in, in, you know, in the United States, the shadow masculine kicking up in a certain way. And that sort of hanging on for dear life. So you can imagine. That's about the truth. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. And if you see, if you imagine if if your identity, it's it's heartbreaking in a certain way, because there's very little initiation or rite of passage for men to go through this time right now. Like their, their health, if, if it's a health crisis, then my, my, you know, sort of, buff way of being in the world my my macho man isn't up to that or if it's a financial falling apart of what i've known my ego way of being someone because of what i can do and produce in the world is gone and this is the the invitation of course is to wake up to something deeper trying to happen here that does relate to your heart that you aren't all of what you do and how you look that there's a deeper soul there that and and some men are going through that i know it's the identity crisis they're having an identity crisis it is, is what an identity. it's because, a kind of identity crisis yes i'm so glad we talked about this cuz as i was reading your book i kept thinking She's not the first person, you you know, you're not the first person that's come on the show in recent months that has told me this similar stories. And I'm just thinking this is kind of crazy that um, that we're going through this right now. And as you speak about the United States and I watch people in power and what's going on, it makes a whole lot of sense. You know, women are going within and they're connecting to that higher power, that higher energy. You can say whatever you want, but men haven't done it yet and they're going to have to I think what do you think well I mean not everybody of course is there are some men that are doing it and I'm so grateful for them right I agree it's with you hard right now I think yeah. it's hard for men and women because I think women we also got that first push of the feminine wave which was really important when I the kind of feminism was to be one of the boys that was really and that actually development in the psyche of you know our ways of being that were like one of the boys was an important step forward. So there are also the women that are suffering right now as they're in this sense of like, who am I really now? Right. Men's world, in a woman in a man's world. Yes, I'm with and you. So who, who am I if I honor, who am I becoming? This is the question I think. And at any one of these evolutionary kind of tipping points, that is the question, who am I becoming? And I think men are, it's a very hard place for men right now. It's also very hard for women to, to wake up right now see what's happening in the world and to be willing to do the hard work. And this is key. Yeah. 
I'm dismantling from the old codes because these codes are down in the DNA. I'm not exaggerating about that. They are in the DNA and we don't wake up from them by just a positive affirmation on the mirror. We actually have to go and do the shadow work. We have to unhook from these millennia old limiting beliefs. Well, yes. I am not enough. I have to do to be of value. You know, I don't belong. My voice doesn't count in the world. So on. Yeah. And you write that in the book. I just want to mention that she, you put all that in the book. And yeah, we always think, we always look on the outside. We have for a long time looked on the outside for confirmation of ourselves and our identity. And now it's looking within to find ourselves. And again, I'm back to the connection with that divine energy. That's what keeps that's me going. Really yeah, that's, you know, and that's what I tell the audience, you know, all you got to do is get up in the morning and plug in real quick. It doesn't take very long to plug in and then you're connected and it changes you. It changes you physically, mentally. That's just my opinion on that. Well, let's talk about that because I think that's okay. critical to have the morning, what I call the, the morning container. And I, I write a bit, of, I think I give this example in the end of the book, how you enter your day is everything. And very often what we do is we plug in to social media. We plug into the needs of our kids. We plug into the needs of our spouse. We plug into the news horror cycle. Mm. You know, that's where we plug in right away. And we have not done that first thing of plugging into ourselves and to that, which, you know, our deep soul nature, our spiritual nature, our divine nature, as you say. And I, you know, if there's one thing anyone does through going through a shaking up time in their lives, I'd say, make sure you have time in the morning. For me, the, the practices that I teach have to do with a morning writing practice. Me a, too. We're the same. How funny. <laughs> a, a prayer practice and working oh. with the altar, a meditation practice. And for me, exercise, I do my, my movement and exercise is super important when you're going through a, a trauma to to keep your energy moving in your body so those you know get up that extra yeah. half an hour before yeah. everybody else and just take the time because then you've resourced yourself to be with all of the poles and demands of the day yeah. I'm so glad you said that because I feel like you know we are energetic beings and I tell everybody if we just take the minute like we brush our teeth Take the few minutes to plug in and re what we're doing is energizing ourselves. We're like rebooting. We're like a computer. We've lost the charge and we got to charge back up. And the only way to do it, I love that you said journaling because when I went through my divorce, you know, that's the first thing I did is I started to write, you know, journal and that helps so much just to get it down on paper. Awesome. It just does. Well, I use something and I, and I teach something. Okay. Of couple of different ways of journaling. And the okay. one first thing in the morning is called morning pages. And this is something that Julia Cameron came up with in her book, The Art of the Artist's Way. But basically it's stream of consciousness writing and you do it for 15 minutes or kind of three pages. You just, it's not one of the precious journals that you write in, like I have many of, then right. you write and read later. This is just meant to be right close to when you wake up. So within you know, 15 minutes or something. So you're, you're still open. You're still got what's coming out of the unconscious and they're uncensored. So you give yourself permission to feel what you feel, to think what the thing It's not when you're trying to write, Oh, all, everything is fine. It's all good. And I love this person, even though you're really angry at them, it's the time to actually be congruent, you know, <laughs> no, I'm really pissed off that this, right. Happened. 
I do that. I write that. <laughs> right. I just give you some, because that's congruent. Now that doesn't mean you're going to act on that stuff. Right. It just gets it off. It gets it off your chest. It gets well, it it's in the unconscious. It's, it, yeah. it's there. Yeah. And you know, the way I think about the unconscious, it's like the iceberg theory, right? It's two thirds of the iceberg that's below the water that directs what direction the water, the iceberg moves in. So you want to get that stuff conscious. So then you don't, it doesn't driving you during the day and you blow up at a friend when really that wasn't the issue. Had nothing to do with them. Well, listen, we got to get out of here for today. Will you hold your book up again? It's called yeah. You Make Your Path by Walking. It's a fabulous cover. A Thank transformational you. field guide through trauma and loss. Thank you for writing this. Thank this you, Nancy. This is really, you know, going to help a lot of people. You guys, you got to pick up her book. You want to leave us with anything before we get out of here for today? Well, you can find the book um, everywhere. I think I love it if you go to your local bookstore and have them order it because I love supporting our remaining local bookstores. And then um, come see me at my website, which is mysterialwoman.com, M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A-L woman.com. Um, sign up on my website, sort of join, find out. I'll be doing a program in the fall based on this on this book, You Make Your Path by Walking. Fabulous. So um, yeah, come and Stay find tuned, me. right? Stay tuned. I love it. Thanks for joining us today. Nancy. All right, you guys, uh, if you want an angel reading, go to my website, nancyurl.com. I am doing some public speaking. So if you would like for me to come and speak at your event, go ahead and contact me. You can email me or go to my website. You guys, this is High Road to Humanity. I want everybody to have a fabulous week and God bless.